Well, hello and welcome back to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave Niven, and as always, it's a pleasure to have your company. Now, today, I'm going to be talking to someone from an organization that I I think does tremendous work. And the scale and the sheer size of what they're, they're trying to tackle is almost beyond belief. I'm going to be talking to the Secretary General of Missing Children Europe, and that's Aki Even. And she has been in post now for three years, and she's responsible for all the strategic development, the day-to-day management of the organization. But her own background is fascinating, too, because it's been in health, political philosophy. She was a Fulbright scholar at Columbia University. She's now based near Brussels, where the organization has its main base. She's got 20 years of experience in research and policy analysis on human rights in Europe. And she's coordinating so many different campaigns. I think I'm going to let her talk for herself in a minute. So, Aki, welcome to the program. Thank you for inviting me to the program, David. I'm very pleased to be here. Okay, now, I think people can tell from the title what your organization is about, but I think I really would like a bit of a more in-depth um, explanation from yourself about what Missing Children Europe does, what your, what your aims are, and even what you'd like to do if you had more resources. So um, <laughs> could you fill us in a little bit? Yes, absolutely. Um, Missing Children Europe is an umbrella organization, so we're a membership organization, and we are the umbrella for 31 national organizations who work on the ground in 26 different countries across Europe, some in the EU, some outside of the EU. And all of these organizations and ourselves, we have the intention to prevent children from going missing, uh, to protect children while they're missing, and to support families of children who go missing. Um, So it's very much about prevention, protection, and support. Uh, And one of the key things most of our members do, 22 of our members manage a national uh, 116000 hotline for missing children. Mm -hmm. So they're directly involved in the search around reporting of missing children, uh, putting out uh, publicity appeals, supporting parents, linking them up with law enforcement. So that's another uh, big, important piece of work that we do. And so our role in that is to really link up all of those different organizations make sure that they can very smoothly work together across borders. And also an an important part of the work that we do is on the one hand do research that goes across Europe, but also do advocacy with the European institutions. So it's it's a little Mm -hmm. bit of like making sure the cross-border work uh, fits together and and also making sure that we're represented uh, at European level. So what do you do in the afternoons? The same, <laughs> and the evenings. <laughs> I, I try to keep my weekends free. <laughs> and, and to your question, what would we do if we had yeah. if we had a lot more money? I, yeah. I think uh, one of the things, particularly definitely research, is is one of the things um, that we would do a lot more of. Uh, at the moment, we really have to often work on data that we get from our members. But um, there's definitely some emerging trends in missing children, uh, particularly uh, how, for example, um, child sexual abuse and bullying on the internet are linked to children going missing where we would really like to do more research on how those two uh, trends link together um, and, and that, that needs funding of course um, we'd, we'd also very much do more on um, data harmonization um, data on missing children are not reported in the same way across countries um, and, and we'd really like to work on harmonizing definitions harmonizing ways of working 
and, and again, also doing more training for the people who run these hotlines for missing children. So I think there's a lot of work to do in terms of really making sure the cross-border element works well. So, yeah, okay. there's, there's definitely... <laughs> That's no, it's huge. It's huge. I, I, I really I can't even begin to get my head around it. Just what range uh, you've got there. You've given yourself such a huge job because I, I gather you haven't got thousands of staff, have you? Oh, I wish. No. Um, of course, um, our members go anywhere between, you know, some of the bigger ones are 50 to 100 staff. The smaller ones have two or three volunteers. Um, so it, it's very different across Europe, our membership. And then the office itself is about 10 people, um, 10 paid mm. staff, more or mm. less. Yeah. So that's, um, that's a, a big job we've given ourselves. And we try to really carefully carve out our niche uh, in terms of making that manageable. Okay, let's talk about some of the headlines um, in terms mm -hmm. of where the, the, the hotspots are the, or the particular areas of, of, of concern. I mean, I, I know, I, I made a list here of what you, you and what some of your staff talked about before. I mean, we've got categories, if you like, of missing children. We've got runaways, that you, can, you, you think that's the biggest percentage. International, 55. 55% yeah. of all children. Yeah. But let's just talk about of what. I believe that you, you've, you've put the figure um, 250,000 children per year in Europe go missing. Is that, that was the figure. Is that right? That's correct. Those are data from 2013. Um, unfortunately, like I said, if we had more money, that was the thing we'd, that would be a study we'd repeat on an annual basis so that we'd have up to date data and up to date information, uh, to, to really catch the, the full trend of those, you know, 250,000 cases of children going missing. Um, so in 2013, I think those date, the, 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 the figures were from 2011 or 2012. It was 250,000 across Europe. Mm. Um, and we do think that's an underestimation. Um, some countries have much higher figures than others, which makes us think that some countries don't define a missing episode in the same way as others. Um, and so we, the, the figures are likely higher. And I think in the last eight years, you probably agree that the actual influence and the pervasive influence, if you like, of the Internet mm -hmm. in terms, as you mentioned, in terms of grooming and bullying and CSA and so forth. I mean, I must have jacked these figures up much higher. Uh, I mean, that's eight years worth of kind of a, an increasingly influential Internet, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And not just the Internet, but social media, which put a lot of pressure on young people. TikTok wasn't there eight years ago, um, not not to blame one particular, um, but all of them, TikTok, Snapchat, Twitter, we, we know them all, Instagram. Um, a lot of those were not here eight years ago and not as, as important as they were eight years ago. And and increasingly younger children spending amongst others, uh, for, for reasons of the COVID crisis, when they couldn't go to school, mm. spending much more time online. So, that yeah, definitely we would have liked to see, um, and I hope to see at some point in detail, um, the influence of that and um, to see how that has linked to children going missing. Okay. Well, look, on the front page of this podcast, obviously I'm going to put as many links as you want me to put in terms of not only, you know, your organisation, obviously, but the helplines and and so forth, you know, so we, we can talk about that. But anybody listening to this who wishes to follow up, as, as I, I know many of you always do, I will put all the links on the front page um, and uh, 
we can you can take it from there. But let's go to the second group that I was looking at, which essentially is a growing, sadly, a growing group, which is the, the international child abductions, usually by a parent or on behalf of a parent. Have you you've seen an exponential growth in that? I believe. We well, the, the we've seen uh, an enormous growth, particularly since border closures during COVID nineteen, mm. um, and of course also as I, I think there's a few trends feeding into f feeding into higher numbers of, of cross border um, cases of um, of parents abducting a child. So we have more and more international marriages. Mm -hmm. We also have increasing divorce rates. So as Europe becomes a more um, you know, as, as people mingle and as people get married and then get divorced, we, ha we have more cases where that's a risk. And we also see that mediation in such cases is not very well established. So we try to work on promoting mediation after a divorce uh, in terms of like parents agreeing on what would be the best uh, in the best interest of the child. Because if they both agree on something, if they've figured out um, a, a way of doing this for themselves, the risk of um, abduction becomes a lot smaller, uh, but it's not well established across Europe. It's not in the interest of lawyers who often get consulted first in divorce cases uh, to go into mediation. Um, they think that's a loss of revenue for them. And so it, it's very difficult to get that established. And that's something we've been working hard on with our cross-border family mediators network, uh, which we're trying to establish in every country and, and, and promote um, so that young people who or the parents who, who, who get divorced um, yeah, think, think about the consequences for the child. And yeah, unfortunately, it's, it's not well established yet. And we see very sad cases of children who, who get abducted by a parent or a guardian um, after, um, after the family breaks down. Now, you've got a very good website. You've got, you've got some very good networks in terms of, as you mentioned, you know, with 31 organizations in 26 countries, which essentially is a, 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 an enormous network. If it was coordinated well, well, which I think it is in many respects, but you obviously want more. I mean, my experience of European legislation is somewhat coloured by like 20 odd years, if not more, of fighting and fighting and fighting to try and get some universality about the age of consent even in Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you know, and to, to try thinking then to actually get... Um, uh, mm -hmm. All these 26 countries working in harmony and for all sorts of things like whether it's mediation, whether it's alert, whether it's actual recognition or whether it's even the definition of, of, of a missing yeah. child. You know, I mean, your work is, is enormous. Yeah, and it's choosing your battles very much. It's looking like where can we really add something and where is European... Um, Where's the European angle to it and, and choosing the legislation that that is at a European level, for example, um, the Brussels two ter regulation. That's a regulation that actually that, that's about uh, international uh, marriages and inter divorces of, of uh, people in international families um and how custody regulations uh, are done in that in, in such cases so there, there is european regulations on this and so that's much easier to influence than for example the definition of a missing child which is very much police matter which yeah. is at the national level and much harder for us to influence yeah tell me about no i mean obviously naming names would be silly but um i i suspect that you're relationship, your professional relationships with law enforcement and social services is not necessarily um, 
complete all over the place. I mean, I suspect it's patchy. Is that fair? It's very different in different countries. I think mm. um, we we ask every year, we, we, we do a, a survey of our members where we ask them how um, how good is your relationship with national authorities, um, police, law enforcement, um, with social work. And I, I think in general, between I think with social work, actually, the, the, the links are quite good. And I think that's also because we promote uh, Missing Children Europe. Um, may, maybe this is a good p- uh, part to mention. So this 116000 number is, is something that we got done from the European Commission. So mm-hmm. at some point, one yeah. of our lobby efforts was around having a number that people could call if a child went missing because we felt that there was a gap, uh, that sometimes victim support services weren't of, of, of law enforcement weren't always there and didn't have the capacity also to support uh, families of children who went missing because that, that's a very frightening event for parents. These parents needed lots of support that, that you know, that was also a heavy burden, let's be honest, on, on law enforcement um, victim support services. So uh, we felt that needed a separate uh, specialised number and that would have to be the same across Europe um, so that if your child went missing in another country, for example, you'd still know where to call and a child would still know where to call if it had gone missing, something like that. So that was the original idea. Uh, Europe set aside that number. So that was a big achievement for us in terms of like that unified number and reporting. But what it did then is, is to delegate the responsibility that to the national level of picking which organization would be. Uh, would be um, taking up that number, would be um, answering the phone. And it was existing organisations at the time. And one of the things we did when supporting the European Commission at the time to decide which organisations are going to be the ones answering the phone is to pick organisations that were well-established in the child protection system, who were well-connected with other uh, elements of the child protection system. So in that sense, I think a lot of these organisations did have good connections to the child protection system and social work in general. In terms of the police, because we were doing victim support, I think in many countries there was originally a little bit of reluctance to work together. And in some countries that persists. But I would have to say that in many of our countries, there is a very good uh, cooperation between police and between um, the 116 number or the organization um, that, that holds the number. And, and they have protocols of working together. And we do um, promote these draft protocols in, in terms of how can police and missing children organizations work together? Who does what? Uh, the police must always be the one who decides, are we going to do a big publicity appeal or are we going to do this behind the scenes in a small way? That, that's very much for the police to assess. The missing children organization will often be the one directly talking to the parents and facilitating the relationship between the police and and law enforcement. Sometimes explaining why does law enforcement do this in such a way? Why are they not putting a publicity appeal out? Um, You know, parents are something like they're not doing enough because we can't see what they're doing. And in that sense, missing children organizations can play an important role in explaining why that is the case. Well, tell me a little bit. Can I just interrupt you a second on that point? Could you just develop a little bit about, for example, you know, you're talking about child alert systems you you touched Mm -hmm. on there. And I do gather from talking to you before, you know, that that, that's um, very much a kind of a a difficult area sometimes in terms of its complexity and the the, 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 the knock on for an identified child in the future, which we obviously don't want to happen. So, you know, is, is that part of your experience that you, you, you're very you're cautious, as it were, about child alert systems? Is that fair? 
Absolutely. And I think um, maybe what, what we call in general publicity appeals is any kind of a, appeal to the general public to help find a missing child. And then the child alert system is a smaller group of, of uh, you know, we, we worked quite a bit on child alert systems in our early days because we felt every national country needed to have an alert system in cases where there's high concern uh, for a child who may have been abducted by a, a stranger with the intent of being harmed or a child that might be at danger of, for example, committing suicide and that would need to be found very quickly. Um, so in these high emergency cases, there, there could be other reasons, but mm. in these high emergency cases, you need a child alert system where the police sends out the alert and a number of people are in, alerted of it very um, immediately. And so that exists in most countries and we've been part of supporting that in many countries. Publicity appeals is a more general thing. And again, I think the, you know, the changes in social media and, and the development of social media in, in recent years have, have really shown us a trend of where people and also families of, of children who've gone missing, people who know a child that's gone missing in a family will send out publicity appeals on their own and will share, you'll see social media groups who share it on their own. And, and we do have some concerns with that trend. And so we did a research a few years ago on publicity appeals, on their usefulness. Um, and so that's something where the jury's out a little bit. I mean, in, in the case mm. of these child alerts, it's definitely necessary to alert a lot of people at a very short notice, but it's, that only happens into, in one to 10 cases per country every year. So that's okay. something that's, that's for very rare cases. But those cases where lots of people online share broadly on Facebook and on social media, on Twitter, um, these, these publicity appeals, what's worrying about them is that there, there's information about this child out there uh, that violates their privacy often um, and that can't be taken back. And so what you will see is children who have gone missing at some point in, in their young lives who will be confronted with that information years after the fact. And so oh, good point. usefulness... Good point. Yeah. yeah. So the 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 benefits and 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 the <laughs> and and the counter benefits or the the benefits and the the losses there are you know need to be weighed very carefully. No. Um, and so that's that's something where we're trying to uh, put together guidelines on how to do that in a proper way. And and I think the general the general recommendation would be always work with the police and a missing children organization who are specialized at this, who know how to do this and who often have ways of retracting the information and deleting it from the internet. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm quickly going to keep moving you on subjects. I want to get as much into this as possible, but um, I did quite a bit of work a couple of years ago with unaccompanied asylum seeking children mm. in, in the UK. And obviously we all see with the, whether whether it's the pandemic or whether it's literally just the kind of the outcome of of, of war and and huge population shifts and goodness knows what else and refugees that the the world is experiencing uh, almost a tsunami of, of people moving all across the world and Europe is picking up a lot. In the yep. UK, if an unaccompanied asylum-seeking child, i.e. somebody under 18, arrives, um, the local authority in the area where they uh, appear uh, is obliged to look after that child as a parent um, mm -hmm. and until such time as their status is properly thought through, and that could, of course, be years. Is it there's a universality across Europe in terms of taking care of unaccompanied children, or is there more of a kind of a mixed bag? 
I think the responsibilities are in, are technically or in theory the same everywhere. Um, local authorities are responsible for children on their territory. Mm-hmm. Um, but how that's implemented kind of differs across different countries. And I, I think it also differs across countries in terms of where these countries are on the path that a lot of children uh, think they want to follow. So you'll, yeah. you'll, okay. children will have ideas and, and ideas that they've received from parents, family members, from others on the road, or from stories that they've been told. They have an idea of where they want to go. They, they think some countries are better to be in than others. And the UK is, of course, a very, was a very, a very attractive country, uh, because there, there wasn't the idea carrying, um, obligation. Um, so, that was a, a country, if you didn't have an ID, that was quite safe to, to walk around in. So that was one of the many reasons. But the UK was a destination country. So a child who arrived in, in, in Greece might not want to be taken care of by local authorities, might not want to ask for asylum or ask for a guardian in, in, in or go, even go into mm. the legal system in Greece or in Italy or in Spain, uh, countries where people arrive, the Balkans. Um, countries like Belgium and France were, were often transit countries. Um, uh, for children who eventually wanted to make it to the UK. And we also saw a lot of children disappearing across borders between France and, and Belgium, mm. um, often to, to try again to, to make it to the UK. So, and, and we do see that in those countries that were also, was also in some countries that there's, there's a, a tendency to say like, well, these children don't want to stay here anyway. If we accept them into our system and then they disappear, we're responsible for finding them. <laughs> So we, we kind of got a feeling as Missing Children Europe um, that some countries were not very keen on taking that responsibility. Um, of course, that's not an excuse. And I think we, we argue very strongly for local authorities to, um, to take up that responsibility and for children to take the legal route um, and to, to you know, ask authorities to take care of them, to ask for a guardian. Um, so that guardianship system uh, is something that we very strongly focus on. And we also tr- strongly focus our advocacy on the role of the guardian in terms of when a child then goes missing, you know, the guardian should stay involved in, in that, you know, or should remain responsible until that case is solved. Of course, these cases are very difficult to get solved. We know there are certain protocols, again, in theory, um, on what should happen uh, when a child goes missing in one country. Uh, but information is often not fed back between countries, and we fear a little bit that Brexit might not have um, might not have uh, helped the situation in terms of, you know, children who arrive in the UK. Where do they come from? They, they've got a whole journey um, mm. ahead of them that might have really informed how they are arriving in the UK today, and that the services that they currently need. You know, there, there might be a number of professionals across Europe who have been in touch with this child who might know a little bit more about that story, but there's no connection um, between those services. And that's that's another big issue that we're arguing for and that we're trying to yeah. improve is the cross-border communication across social services. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the challenge, of course, that this information should not be exchanged with migration management because, of course, that would <laughs> not be in the interest of the child. So it's very... It's, it's very tricky, challenging. very tricky. I, I mean, li- listen, we, we've got a, probably we've got about five minutes left. And I just want, I, I mean, and the way I'm thinking is we'll probably do another podcast very soon if that's all right with you, because I think the, the subject matter is just not tiny. Let's put it that way. Um, so uh, for the last five minutes, why don't you just let rip and just say what you think people, both the public, the professionals, 
the lawmakers or whoever, you know, what what needs to be done more? I mean, you've talked about the desperate need for more research to understand the problem more. I know that technology is something that figures very highly in terms of the, 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 the threats are very technologically based sometimes in terms of the Internet, the grooming, bullying, child sexual abuse and so forth. But also um, the numbers are just mind boggling in terms of the children that go missing for all sorts of different reasons. I remember when I started in social work, you were, runaways were, yes, but you were also talking, I mean, quite disparagingly, but about throwaways as well. And, and, and runaways, throwaways, and, and, and all sorts of labels that were put on children that for one reason or other separated from the family that they were living with. What sort of things are needed? Come on, you've got completely open checkbook and um, an audience listening to you that are going to do everything you say. <laughs> I think in terms of technology, which is a field, and thank you for mentioning that field, which is a field that's changing so quickly and all the time, what I think we need to have for every new technology that's developed and where children are the audience or may expect it to be part of, of the intended audience. We need impact assessments on what it will mean to children. Mm. We need clear insights into the, um, into the technology that's behind all this, into the, into the, the protocols that are behind this. And, and we just need to know what is the impact on children going to be. I think we need to be much more proactive in that. I think we need to be much stricter and much more regulatory in that so that we can prevent rather than um, end up with some of the things we've seen in, in, the, in most recent years where the presence of child sexual abuse material online has tripled, uh, quadrupled in, in, in a year, several years ago that was, I think it was 2018 or 19 that this was mentioned. So these kinds of things are just, and, and we need to hold technology companies, large tech companies uh, accountable for whether they uh, protect children or whether they only protect the privacy of their users. Um, and, and, and that's something where, you know, this whole idea of privacy and, and the, the protection of children, they're not in conflict. I mean, when a child's child sexual abuse material on, is online, that is a violation of its privacy, of this child's privacy. So that's something we really need to prevent from happening. And it's not just that. It's, it's all kinds of technological advances that, that do have a risk. And I think we need to be more proactive and, and stricter on that. So there's a, a big work uh, to be done in advocacy at European level there. I think in terms of migration, we need to start seeing um, the real reasons for which young people leave their countries. Um, it's because they're, they're either because they don't have food, <laughs> because they are poor, they live in poverty, or because they're not safe. Uh, those are the main reasons why children leave uh, their countries. There, there's a lack of safety, there's a lack of uh, security in their existence, and that is why they come to Europe. Um, we need to take responsibility for these children and we should not, you know, we should look for them when they go missing in the same way we go looking for every child who has parents in Europe. Um, I, th I think it's, it's just incredible that 18,000 children have gone missing in the past three years. And very few of those cases, when we look at our own data collection around this, uh, very few of those cases get solved within the year. Uh, and I think that's a lack of, of, of goodwill and a lack of um, a lack of good cooperation across borders as well. So I think I think there's a lot to be done there. And it, it really starts with, 
you know, taking responsibility and acknowledging that these young people come here for reasons that are very understandable. Um, the, the, the narrative around migration is very divisive, and I think that's something I would like to change. If I had a lot of money, that's what I would put it towards. Okay. And that's finally, exactly, I think... That's exactly what I was going to ask. Right, go on, finally, sorry, yeah. <laughs> finally, I think in the issue of parental... Uh, parental abductions, um, and in general, parental conflict, because it's not just children whose parents live in different countries or have different nationalities where a divorce is a very unsettling thing. Um, to really um, get out of the legalistic perspective that can be quite divisive in families and to look towards mediation in cases where that is um, a good option for the child. Well, there we are. That was Gallup, wasn't it? Anyway, I tell you, I, I, I do think, though, that if it's all right with you, I think we'll, we'll you know, in a, in a couple of programs time, maybe even or something, I'll come back and we'll have a think again about all the things we haven't managed to sort of highlight because there's just such a range and such a landscape that you operate in. It's just huge. So um, I want to thank you firstly for today. That was Excellent. And I'm, I'm so pleased that I managed to get a hold of you and you agreed to do the podcast. Um, when we put it out, I'll put a front page up as usual. Um, and effectively, that's going to um, give people the opportunity to see how to get in touch with you with ideas or support and just give a, a, more, a more general understanding um, that there are things being done for missing children that they perhaps weren't aware of and they can be a little bit more reassured. But anyway, listen, Aki, thank you. Thank you ever so much. And, Very welcome. Um, thank I'm, you. I'm looking, to, um, I'm looking to come back and talk to you again, if you agree. I'd love to. I'd enjoy that. All right. Well, for today, thank you very much. Thank you.